In the beginning, God spoke and created the entire world. Then God created man out of dirt. God told Adam, eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eventually, God created a woman. God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. A serpent came and convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God cursed the serpent as well as Adam and Eve and forced them out of the garden. Wickedness and tragedy continued to spread, but God found one man, Noah, who walked faithfully. So God instructed Noah to build a giant boat, and the entire earth was flooded, wiping out every living thing. Eventually, the flood stopped, and the ark came to rest on dry land. God made a promise that the entire earth would never again be completely flooded, and God looked for someone to bless the entire world. There once was a man named Abram, who was a descendant of Noah. God told him to move with his wife Sarai, an entire family away from where they lived. God made a promise, I will make you into a great nation and bless you, and all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram and his family left. At one point, they stopped and God told him to look around. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your children. Then, one night, God took Abram outside. Look up and count the stars. This is the number of children you will have. But Abram was already 75 years old, and Sarai was way too old to have children. So they decided that Sarai's servant Hagar should have Abram's child. Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Yet, God told Abram again, you will be the father of many nations. God changed their names to Abraham and Sarah and promised that it would be through Sarah that God's blessing would come. Exactly as God promised, Sarah became pregnant, giving birth to a son named Isaac. When Isaac was still a young boy, God told Abraham to take his son up on a mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham took Isaac, laid him on an altar, and took out his knife to kill him. But an angel stopped Abraham, and God provided a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. Years later, Abraham and Sarah died and left everything they owned to Isaac. Isaac married and had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was Isaac's favorite. And as the oldest, he was set to gain his father's inheritance. But Jacob wanted the inheritance. So he came up with a scheme to trick his father, who was now old and blind, into promising it to him. He dressed in Esau's clothes and put animal skin on his hands because Esau's hands were very hairy. Confused, Isaac gave his blessing to Jacob and promised him the inheritance instead of Esau. This caused a huge fight, one that almost ended in murder before they went their own ways. Thankfully, they reunited, and God promised to bless Jacob's family. Jacob had 12 sons of his own, 
And like his father and grandfather before him, Jacob had a favorite son. Little did Jacob know that his favoritism would put his son, Joseph, in danger of being killed by his own brothers. not on. Let's try that again. Are we good? Oh. As a pastor, days like today are living proof that God is alive in this place. Student missionaries coming back, student missionaries heading out, students choosing to follow God the rest of their lives. Where's Zach and Cole? You guys want to come up here? Zach, Cole, your your lives are already a living witness. Because in the time from your baptism a few minutes ago until right now, little Charlie Allen. Do you guys know Charlie? Charlie is, is Charlie three years old? Charlie came up to me. He's three, he says. Charlie came up to me and he says, what did you do to those boys up there? And I told him, I said, they want, they love Jesus and they wanted to follow him. And so we baptized them. Well, I want to do that, Charlie says. So living testimonies already. Zach. Here is your baptismal certificate. Cole, there is yours. Church family, would you join me in welcoming these two young men as part of our Calamese Church family? Will you give them a hand? (laughs) Welcome. And uh, we're very happy for you guys. Thanks. You guys be seated. And just so you know, yesterday, Cole, Cole um, thinks he broke his foot yesterday doing something he loves, mountain biking. So ask him about it later. You may recognize this. It's a simple mirror used probably by at least a billion people, I'm guessing, on a daily basis. It's a simple thing, but if you put this into the hands of a loving children's ministries leader in Calamasa, and you get them, Stephanie, you've done this countless times, I'm sure, and I'm going to actually sing for you today, which I've never done. Oh, no, someone says, you're right. Who has come to Sabbath school? Stephanie, Stephanie. Stephanie. Who has come to Sabbath school? Connor has. Put this thing in the hands of a loving volunteer and it becomes a instrument of child development and spiritual growth. Or they develop skills of learning who they are and 
that they were created in the image of God. So let me ask you, on an average day, how many times do you think someone turns to a mirror? Any guesses? 10. Who said that? Trace. Any other guesses? Apparently in first service, people were adamant that gender matters. <laughs> it wasn't me. I didn't say that. First service people said that. And I think they said age matters. Right. Simple skin care conducted a survey of 2,000 women just a couple of years ago, and they asked them, how many times a day do you look, and they didn't use the word mirror, they used reflective surface, because we now live in the 21st century where everybody has a cell phone or a car mirror or someone else's sunglasses you can look in. How many times a day do you seek out, do you turn towards a reflective surface? Tracy, were close. They said eight, eight times a day. Now, I don't know, and I won't judge if yours is higher or lower than that, but you can kind of pace yourself there. But when you turn to a mirror or a reflective surface, is it a quick glance? Or do you stare and study? Do you like what you see? Do you think others like what they see? Grammy award-winning artist Colby Calais just got fed up with trying to live up to other people's expectations of who she is and what she's supposed to look like. And so she just recently released a song called Try. And this is an actual screenshot from her music video. And you can kind of see half of her face is, is, has been touched up with makeup and Photoshop and whatever, and the other half has not. Because she says she wanted to be perceived and accepted for who she is and not what she looks like. Just a few excerpts from her song, being ironic, she says, get your shopping on at the mall. Max out your credit cards. You don't have to choose. Buy it all. So they like you. Do they like you? Wait a second. Why should you care? What they think of you when you're all alone by yourself. Do you like you? Do you like you? Take off your makeup, let your hair down, take a breath, look into the mirror at yourself. And then at the end, she has a message for her fans. Don't you like you? Because I like you. And if you have school-age children at home, I want to encourage you to, to go find this video and look at it and have some important conversations with your students. But do you like what you see in the mirror?
How often do we look in a mirror and, and study and, and, and intensely think, man, I was created in the image of God. We are supposed to believe that, right? Maybe it's just easier to try to seek out the image of God in someone else. I grew up in an immigrant family. My dad didn't understand the nuances of American things like NASCAR and football. But one thing that we did share was, was a bond of, of baseball. So each night after dinner, we'd go out and he'd toss me some pitches to hit or, or we'd play catch before he'd go back to work. In academy, we didn't have a baseball team, but we had a softball team that, that competed in the local city leagues with, with the men in the community. And as an impressionable young kid, my friends and I, we'd go and we'd get, we'd get packages of big league chew gum. You guys know what that is? Do they, do they have that? Riley knows what that is, right? And then we'd also get, get sunflower seeds and, and then we'd just have wads in our cheek, like baseball players do, right? And if you're wondering, David barbecue flavored sunflower seeds are the best. So. Salt and pepper? All right, we're going to have a sunflower seed off here. Um, but it was during those times I think I, I, I learned to appreciate sunflower seeds. And so recently at home, I, I, I planted some sunflowers to, to try to see if I can harvest some and see if it tasted different. And as a sunflower sprouted and began to grow, I noticed something. And if you've grown sunflowers, you may already know this. As a sunflower develops and, and buds, it follows the sun throughout the day. Is there a picture? Perfect. This is our backyard. And the sunflower on your left is the one that's already in full bloom. And the one on your right in the back, it's still a bud. And you notice they're facing different directions. I took it in the evening. So the one that's already in full bloom constantly just faces east. It doesn't move anymore. And the one that's still a bud, it's facing the opposite way because it's followed the sun. What's going on here is something called heliotropism, which simply means it grows or moves towards the sun. Now, I know that some of you enjoy being outside in the sun. We live in Southern California, and you've got to get your vitamin D. So if during the day, as the sun moves, if you have also shifted your body to make sure that you can follow the sun and be completely in the sun, then you have practiced heliotropism. You have turned, you have grown towards the sun. Now, like I said, sunflowers are partially heliotropic. When they're young buds, they will follow the sun. And then one day, they turn into this beautiful sunflower in all of its glory, and then they think, hey, I'm a pretty sunflower. I don't need the sun anymore. I'm going to just do my own thing. There may be an important and unfortunate life lesson there. Because from the beginning, God designed us 
as his creation, longing for us to be spiritually heliotropic, turning, leaning, bending towards his son. The Bible is a fascinating library. It has so many stories told from so many different perspectives. And it tells us about people that both turn towards and away from the face of God. These stories challenge us. They challenge us to see life from a variety of angles. Gives us wisdom. It adds depth to our lives. So we have four gospels that introduce us to Jesus. We have 66 books in total and in two testaments. And this morning we want to go back towards the beginning of our roots in Genesis. This book that has been passed on from generation to generation over thousands of years through various modes. And in the beginning, God tells us a story that invites us to reflect on his image. And in order to do that, he invites us to desire the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> that tree that feeds our pride and, and it almost makes it seem like we can play God and judge between good and evil. One Christian writer puts it this way, and I just want to read it to you. It says, Unfortunately, we humans have consistently chosen the wrong tree. Instead of imitating and reflecting God as good image bearers should do, we start competing with God, edging God out, playing God ourselves. He goes on and he says, we can use our intelligence to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. We can use our physical strength to be creative and generous or to be selfish and destructive. We can use our work, our money, our time, our other assets. He says to be creative and generous or selfish and destructive. Over time, led by God through many teachers and prophets, Abraham's descendants began to believe that God only wanted one thing from humanity. It wasn't sacrifice, whether human or animal, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. The only sacrifice that mattered to God was the gift of a humble heart, and lives that are dedicated to his service. Abraham's grandchildren, they were still learning this. And they were in a bitter conflict. And at the heart of the conflict between Esau and Jacob was that somehow they believed that Jacob was more loved by God than Esau. They were not yet convinced that everyone was created in the image of God 
and can be holy and spiritual and valuable and meaningful. Everyone, women and men, girls and boys, toddlers and seniors, the popular, the misunderstood, the powerful, the vulnerable, and in this case, the firstborn or the younger child. All of us bearing the image of God. And Esau, as a firstborn, he was entitled to the birthright and, and blessings that come with it. And yet through a series of events that were both above and under the table, Jacob becomes the favored one, the anointed. And this angered Esau. And this was also the beginning of a life for Jacob on the run, constantly looking over his shoulder. Because Esau, he was waiting for an opportune time to exact revenge. So Jacob fled from his home and he was on a journey and eventually ended up at the home of his uncle Laban. Where he worked and he lived for 20 years. And he ended up marrying two of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he began to accumulate wealth and family grew. And as time went on, the relationship between Jacob and Laban's family began to become tense. And as tensions rose, because Laban's descendants thought that Jacob was getting rich off of their dad, Jacob decides to flee again. And with nowhere to go, decides, maybe I'll try going back home again. And on this journey, he knows that sooner or later, he's going to have to encounter his brother. The very brother that has been waiting to exact fatal revenge. So he sends messengers ahead of him. And the messengers, they get in touch with Esau and they come back and they say, Jacob, Esau is coming to see you with 400 of his closest friends. So Jacob gets to work and he starts to divide his family and his livestock and his possessions. And he waits. That night, he makes sure that his family is secure and he steps away. And I'm not sure if he stepped away to rest or to devise a game plan or to plead and beg with God. But God comes to Jacob. They have a heart to heart. They have a man to God conversation. And the result after an intense struggle is that Jacob, he says he sees the face of God and he is blessed. And in the morning, he musters up his courage and he begins the final leg of his journey home. And this is where we pick up our story this morning in Genesis chapter 33. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. Genesis chapter 33, we'll be reading starting in verse 1. 
And this is what happens. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children that God has graciously given to your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I've met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I had found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. And catch this. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably. It goes on to say that Jacob insisted, and so Esau received the gifts from his brother. Truly, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, since you have received me with such grace. That's a huge statement coming from one who wrestled with God and saw the face of God the night before. These brothers, they were learning that God is not for for one and against the other. God is for us and for them. God loves everyone everywhere because we are all part of his creation. True faith is seeing the bigger circle in which we can all be connected and included, loved and blessed because God is our creator. So how do we turn, grow towards this God? What will our lives look like this morning if you are Israel or Hamas? Maybe it means that even for just 12 hours, you choose grace over hostility during Sabbath. In our homes, it may mean reconciliation with a loved one over revenge, equality over rivalry. 
And when we make that choice, when we encounter God in the face of a former rival, an enemy, we are humbled. Surrendering to God and seeking to be reconciled, our faces too then become a reflection of God. One Christian writer says that true aliveness comes when we receive blessings and become blessings for others. Earlier this summer, we were a part of a VBS program in this very church where countless kids came and so many of you were praying for us and and involved as volunteers where we tried to turn the lives of our children towards the face of God. And on the night that VBS ended, 33 of us, we were able to go and join Pastor Pablo, who was already down in Honduras, to go and serve our friends down in Rotan. And several of our members and our friends were, were a little concerned. They were concerned for me, saying, man, are you okay? Are you gonna, this is a pretty intense time for you. You know, and I just felt so alive. I was tired, but I was alive because I was being blessed and then able to share that blessing with others and become a blessing. Some days, turning towards God comes quite naturally. And we're grateful for those days. Other days, I just want to bend my own way. Right? It's hard, and I don't feel like leaning towards that son of God. Still other days, the, the, just the simplest thing goes wrong, and, and oh, I struggle. I don't retain my composure and I let my emotions get the best of me and it's hard to turn to the face of God. But when we hear of senseless acts of violence like we have in the past week where planes are shot down and innocent lives are lost, we turn as God's people, and we turn to God looking for answers. When, some, when unspeakable things happen to our children, we turn to God, seeking his face, looking for strength. As followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are all invited to bend, to turn towards the light that the Gospel of John speaks about, to pursue him, to focus on him, to receive life-giving energy, strength from him, to follow him closely. We're invited to be a spiritually heliotropic people, that seek the face of God. And when we do,
we will find God already turned towards us. Amen. bless you and keep you may the Lord smile on you shine his light upon you may the Lord lift you Turn his face towards you, give you his peace, give you his peace. May the Lord bless us and keep us may the lord smile on us shine his light upon us may the lord lift us turn his face towards us Give us His peace, give us His peace. Blessed we came to this place today, and blessed now we will go. In the name of the Father, the Spirit and the Son. Blessed we came to this place today, and blessed now we will go. In the name of the Father, the Spirit and the Son. came to this place today and blessed now we will go in the name of the Father the Spirit and the Son may the Lord bless us and keep us 
May the Lord smile on us, shine His light upon us. May the Lord lift us, turn His face toward us, give us His peace. Give us His peace. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. Let's have a benediction. Go now in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, turning towards him this week, seeing his face and recognizing that the God who came so long ago still comes to